I want to continue to speak and, um, on the topic that we started last week called suffering. Why suffering? Last week we spent a long time talking about how the first-rate Christian experiences the trials and testings in our life. And in this discussion we realized that just because a person becomes a Christian or turns a life over to Jesus, that life doesn't become rosy. Life doesn't become easy. And you know why? Because it's not supposed to. I know that kind of goes against the grain. That's not what we want to hear. But that's just the way God orchestrated it. Because he wants to work things out in our lives, just exactly what Angel was talking about. He wants to work things out in our lives through trials and difficulty. It's not fun, is it? Don't understand it all the time, do we? But it's absolutely necessary. And I'm not suggesting here that everyone's going through the problem right now. I'm not trying to say that everybody here is being tested and tried. But there's some that are. And there's some that are really struggling with the questions. So this is a message for them. And this is also for a message for those that have it all good right now. I'm not, looking, I'm not asking you to go look for problems in your life. Don't look for the problem. If you're going through a good time, enjoy it. Thank God for the blessings. He gives us those blessings. He gives us those times of prosperity and those times of peace. Enjoy those and, and, and relish those. So take this message today and tuck it away someplace in your memory. If you're going through the good times of life right now, then thank God. But then take this message and tuck it away because there will come a day, I guarantee you, there's coming a day where you'll need this. God has a purpose. In John chapter 17, verse 15, Jesus prayed to his father for his disciples. And his prayer was this, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. If Jesus didn't pray to take us out of the world, take us out of our problems, then why should I pray that prayer? My prayer should be keep me from the evil one. And that's what Jesus prayed for his disciples. That's what he's praying for us. God has a work in our life that is more important than our human comfort that we talked about already. He's got a, he's got a plan. He's got something that he wants to accomplish in our life that is only going to come through the testing. You're not going to understand it, so don't try. You're not going to understand why, God. Why now in my life I had it going so well. I had so much potential. Things were going so well. And all of a sudden this, whatever this is, happened. Don't try to understand that because you can't. What we talked about last week was we're not geared to understand God, but we're geared and we're made to embrace him. We're fashioned to embrace him. We're fashioned to love him. We're fashioned to have a relationship with him. Focus on the relationship in the time of your trouble. Focus on the relationship with Jesus in the time of your stress instead of the woe is me because so often it becomes about me. It becomes about my pity party that I want to have because it feels good when I have those pity parties. But that's not productive. That's not what God's wanting to do. What he's trying to do is say, I need you to think about me. I want you to think about me. James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4, in the English Standard Version Bible, it says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now we'll come back to the scripture later. 
But right now, I want to revisit the question of why suffering? Why does God allow suffering in our lives? If he really has the ability to prevent it, then why does he allow it? He doesn't have to make us go through the stuff we go through. He could, like he spoke this world into existence, he could speak my problems away. And he could speak your problems away. So why doesn't he? It's not because he couldn't. Understand that. Do not let the devil give you that little bit of a doubt in your mind that, that the God's not big enough to take care of your problem. Because that's a lie of the devil. He is big enough to take care of my problem. But he's also big enough to allow me to go through my test and my trial and hold me in the midst of it while I grow and while I learn and while I mature. He loves me so much that he wants the best for me. And sometimes I have to go through that stuff because of his love. Do you understand that? I don't, but I embrace him, but I love him because God loves me so much. I'm going to do something today we've never done before. I'm going to play Alistair Begg. Alistair Begg is a pastor. He's a Bible teacher for Truth for Life. He's a pastor at Parkside Church down in Cleveland, Ohio. And this week I heard his message on XM Radio when I was driving back and forth. And it, was so li it lined up so much with what we talked about last week that I thought we had to revisit it. And I was going to just copy the notes down and then preach it like, I pro or like it was mine. <laughs> but I can't do it good enough. And Alistair has such a great way of talking in his little British accent. And so we're going to listen for the next 20 minutes, if you will. Hang with me now. 20 minutes, Alistair Begg, Why Suffering? Why do the righteous suffer? Why do good people suffer? Why do those who embrace God and say they follow his son, why do they suffer? Well, let me tell you. Let me tell you five reasons why. Number one, because suffering is the common human condition. The first reason why Christians suffer, the same as non-Christians, is because we live in an imperfect world. And because we live in an imperfect world, the impact of sin means that there is suffering, that there are eventualities, we get hurt, we get sick, and we also die. Therefore, in light of that, we do not need to read into all of our sufferings some great cosmic meaning. Oh, you know, I stood on the rake and it belted me right on the side of the head. Oh, God, what are you teaching me in this great circumstance? Look where you're going, clown. In other words, we don't have to immediately theologize into some great cosmic plan the eventualities of human existence. The righteous and the unrighteous see the sun. The righteous and the unrighteous feel the rain. The righteous and the unrighteous live with the implications of suffering. So that's the first thing. We experience suffering because you can't be human without experiencing suffering. Secondly, we experience suffering sometimes because God plans for it to be corrective. This is the expression of the psalmist where he says in Psalm 119, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. When everything seemed to be fine, when the sun was out, the sky was blue, when, when I just had life in front of me, I frankly was going my own way. I was doing my own thing. 
But now that you have afflicted me, I obey your word. And this, of course, is iterated there in the book of Hebrews, when the God the Father is described as a gracious Father who would discipline his children and correct them by means of his discipline in order that it may be that they get back on the path of God's word. And each of us, if we've lived life at all, with any sense of sensitivity to what's happening to us, will recognize at least the possibility that some of our experiences of pain and suffering have been as a result of God's gracious, wonderful, corrective plan. So in other words, this pain, as painful as it was, this emptiness, as real as it was, has been a means of blessing to us. For God has used it to correct. Thirdly, God uses suffering not simply as a corrective, but in order to be constructive. Romans chapter 5. Paul writes and he says, Suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. How does this person become so hopeful? How does this lady have such wonderfully tender eyes? How is it that this gentleman seems so empathetic with my pain, with my brokenness? with my wanderings, with my stupidity. How did this guy get like this? God used suffering in his life to construct him. He wouldn't be the man he is had God not chosen to employ pain in this way. Not punitively, not even correctively, but constructively. Fourthly, we experience some suffering simply in order that God might be glorified. Isn't that the lesson of John chapter 9 when the disciples come to Jesus with a man born blind and they say, who sinned, this man or his parents? And Jesus says, neither the parents nor the man. This man is the way he is in order that the work of God might be displayed in his life. And there are circumstances in each of our lives through which we come and we say to ourselves in the experience of them, I don't know what in the world this is about. I would run from this if I could, and understandably so. But then all of a sudden, somewhere along the journey of our days, in a great denouement, it becomes apparent, oh, that's why I went through that. It is for this exact moment that God may be glorified. If I may use a personal illustration, and I don't know how good or bad it is, when my mother died and left us behind, me 20, my sisters 11 and 15, I couldn't find a redeeming feature in the event at all. I couldn't make sense of it. I stood at her open grave and tried to theologize it as best I could in relationship to 1 Corinthians 15, and yet, still laying hold of God and saying, I believe you and I trust you, still it seemed to me like a bad idea, you know. When I was invited to be the assistant minister at Charlotte Chapel in 1975, and I was 23. I looked like I was about 16. And the great fear on the part of the elders was, how can this cream-faced loon ever be any use in the context of a variegated congregation, many of whom are old? A justifiable concern. And I found the first time I had to go to the home where someone had lost a loved one. And I walked in the door and I sat down and I took the person's hand. This is not the whole answer, but it's part of the answer. I said, thank you, Lord. This is part of the reason 
Because you couldn't give me empathy. You couldn't give me sympathy. I couldn't know what this... I couldn't even get close to thinking what it feels like in this home right now for a mother to be grabbed away in the middle of the years, for a dad to be lost in a car accident, for somebody to be unrecoverable from a tragic accident, were it not for the fact that somehow or another you determined that you would be glorified as a result of pain which you allowed as a result of suffering which you brought into my experience. You see, the question is, are you prepared to trust God? That's the question. Will you believe God? Will I bring my mind beneath Him? Will I submit to Him? And fifthly, the purpose of suffering is, in certain cases, cosmic. Having said that every experience of pain should not be regarded as a cosmic event, I need at the other end to say that the purpose of suffering is cosmic. And Job is the most profound and detailed exploration of it. Because the experience of suffering in the life of Job is to demonstrate before Satan and the angels that a person can love and trust God for who he is in himself and not merely for what he gets out of him. This is very, very important. God doesn't want people to become Christians just as an insurance policy against trouble. And He doesn't want us to live our lives free from suffering because He wants to show the world that His people are sufficiently tough to suffer with the world's suffering and still trust God. You see, this is why we have a very poor theology of suffering at the commencement of the 21st century. Certainly in terms of the public persona that is represented in television evangelists and teachers who are all the time hyping the idea of a Christianity that is all about health, it's all about wealth, and it's all about prosperity. Now the fact of the matter is, God blesses. When we apply his principles, there is an attendant blessing that accompanies it. But he is not, does not have his hand up his back in relationship to this. And we cannot manipulate a sovereign God. And the same God who chooses to bless us with a lovely sunset may choose to bless us with the experience of suffering. Now, loved ones, if we do not know how to suffer, then how in the world will anybody know how to suffer? If we cannot, in light of the realities of eternity, face the issue head on, then what are our friends or our neighbors going to do? You see, because Christianity is not about how to escape from the difficulties of life, but it is how to face the difficulties of life. This is what we need to be saying to our friends and neighbors. There is no come follow Jesus Christ and escape everything. It is come follow Jesus Christ and live. And as you live, you will experience all of these things. And the difference that Jesus makes is not that he removes us from the circumstances, but that he grants us grace in the midst of the circumstances. And people say, well, you know, why is it that when the, when the 747, the TWA flight goes down there, well, why did the, why did the Christians go down? Well, what, what is that supposed to mean? Is the inference being that God should only allow those who do not know him to go down? I mean, let's face it, the people who don't know him, they go down to the ultimate down. We see people have got this idea that somehow or another we're going to be floating to the ground while everyone else hurls to destruction. 
No. Christianity is not an insurance policy against suffering and pain. And God uses it. Pain, illness, crashed and crushed hopes, stupid choices, bereavement. We test the faith of Christians to make them stronger, better, and wiser. Now, loved ones, when you begin to grapple with this, when you read the story of Job and think it out, then you will realize that the Bible is eminently wise in relationship to these things. And you need to be able, we need to be able to dialogue with our friends in relationship to a worldview that is cogent. They may not accept it, but we ought to still at least be able to make the case. For example, when they're pressing us into a corner about all the suffering in the world, ask them this question. By how much do you think suffering would be reduced in the world if everybody obeyed the Ten Commandments? The Ten Commandments that our culture is so keen to remove from school walls, office walls, walls of justice. Get rid of all of this nonsense. We don't want this up here. The, uh, the, the, the church needs to be over here. The state needs to be over here and so on. All of that nonsense. Well, just ask them. How do you think we do without lust? Do you think that would make a difference to suffering? How do you think we do without greed? Without lying? Without stealing? Without murder? How much do you think we would make an impact on suffering if a society were to obey the Ten Commandments? And the answer is unavoidable. It would radically change things. Push them back a little bit. Shove them into the corner. Kindly. Kindly into the corner. We don't want to win the argument and lose the war. But we want to be able to push them back just a little bit. Hey. And then also, understand this so that you can convey it. Pain and growing old are blessings, not curses. Pain is one of God's great blessings. Children understand this. Ah! Ah! They say, as they jam their fingers or whatever it is. And then what do they do? Mom! Why does God use pain? The exact same reason that confronting this, facing this suffering, men and women might say, Ah! God! So if we were to take away pain... We remove one of the great potential levers by which God reaches into the soul of a man or a woman and he says, Hey, I wanted to talk to you. And the same is true of old age. Old age is great. You heard it here. Write it down. Gray hairs and wrinkles. Look in the mirror and say, Yes. Why? Why gray hair and wrinkles? Because God has given us a personal visual aid. And so that every time you look in the mirror, it says this to you. You're on your way out. <laughs> mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? Not you. <laughs> you look in the mirror and you see it coming back at you. Your shelf, your sell-by date is closer than yesterday. That's one of the reasons that God gives us gray hairs and wrinkles. If you think about it, the, the process of creation could have been that people were made, they looked like something out of Star Trek or one of those weird things or those horrendous heads and faces so that you were unable to distinguish age at all. And then you lived a kind of ageless existence and all of a sudden you fell down a trap hole in the ground and you were gone. It could have been that way. God in his grace 
produces suffering, allows pain, and allows the degenerative processes of our lives in order that seeing the fact that we are not going to last forever, we say to ourselves, my, my, I better prepare for the final journey. So I look at my gray hair and I look at my wrinkled face and I look at the fact that when you used to be able to just, when you jumped off the two-foot wall, you used to just do it and now you're like, mm-hmm, way, just like that. What, where does that come from? Every time that happens, God says, aha, see, Alistair? You've got less in front of you than you've got behind you. Are you ready to meet me? Let me just make a couple of summary statements. What's the biblical worldview in relationship to this? It is this. In the beginning, God made everything perfect. He gave Adam and Eve some rules destined for their best welfare. They broke those rules, went their own way. As a result of this sin, disease, and suffering of all kinds, and finally death itself, came into the experience of mankind because all of us have followed their bad example of trying to go it alone. There are implications of going alone. When we refuse to obey God's counsel found in the Bible, He stands aside and He leads us to it. And much of the suffering in our world today is as a direct result of this. That's the significance of Romans chapter 1. And choosing, choosing to worship the creature rather than the creator, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and God gave them over to their choice. Now, in the midst of all of that, God is doing three things. One, he is holding back sin and suffering to a degree we can never fully know. If God were to take his hand off our culture completely, it would be hell, totally. And that's why we need to pray that God would place his hand upon us. That we do not go the way of the Roman and the Greek Empire. And like every other proud empire that has crumbled to the dust. And just coming back from Greece and walking amongst ruins that are 1700 B.C., and thinking, you see the people walking now on an excavated Manhattan in the year 5006? I say, who were these crazy Americans? Look at all the things they did. Why did they turn their back on God? They had such wonderful churches. We see the ruins of some of them. In the midst of all of it, God still in His grace, holds back sin and suffering. Also, He allows man-made suffering to show us how desperately we need God. And thirdly, He uses natural disasters to blow a big trumpet, to remind men and women that they are not the masters of the universe or of their own fate. I'm tempted to say He uses natural disasters to blow a big trumpet, particularly for scientists. Chemistry teachers in the main. Physics teachers as well. Those people that made my life so miserable. <laughs> and no, there are wonderful chemistry and physics teachers, and some are here this morning. But they, the scientist has to get on his knees sometimes, does he not? And look at the lightning come across the sky and its megazillion voltage and say, we can't come close to reproducing that. Watch 
the most phenomenal storm unfold. Watch a volcanic eruption. Watch St. Helens repair itself in a matter of years, despite all of their fossil testing said it takes zillions and zillions of years before you can have vegetation like that. St. Helens erupts, spews out all of this stuff, and the people are now back 25 and 30 years later to say, look, how did all this vegetation get like this? God is blowing the trumpet. He's saying, scientist, scientist, listen up. And to take the sting out of suffering, he's given us the Bible so that we might have a blueprint and know how to live. He's given us the prospect of heaven so that we needn't be without God and without hope in the world. He's given us the gift of the Lord Jesus that we might trust in him. And he's given us the Holy Spirit that we might be made absolutely new. Think about it, and this is my final thought. You travel the world and you go into all kinds of temples as they relate to all kinds of religions. You're struck by a variety of things, not least of all the sincerity of some who are there paying their vows and respects. And every so often I've found myself, for example, in the context of Buddhism, saying this is very interesting. But eventually I just have to walk away and shake my head because I look at that little man, that little Buddha. And you see him sitting there like this, grinning. You're supposed to buy one and rub its tummy. No, I, I don't believe in a God who folds his arms and grins and asks me to rub his tummy. I don't even believe a God in a God who came to earth to lie in a deck chair. The Christian believes in a God who hang bloodied and beaten on a Roman cross, answering the proud, defiant questions of man. God, do you know about suffering? And the cry from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was forsaken that you and I might be forgiven. Not that we would have the answer to all of our questions, he doesn't ask us to answer all the questions. He asks us to trust Him. Do you trust Him today? And if not, are you trusting yourself? Wow. Wow. That's incredible. Father, look upon us in Your grace, we pray, as we wrestle with these great issues. Thank you that you have come to us. Thank you that you have died for us. Thank you that you ever lived to intercede for us. And thank you that through the pain of our own individual suffering, through the reality of sorrow that comes as a result of decisions that we've made, still we see your hand in it all, constructing us, correcting us, using us. Lord, we do pray you will help us then to know how to live and how to die, how to rejoice and how to suffer. And to this end, we commend ourselves to you. May the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit Rest upon and remain with each one of us now and forevermore.
Amen. You know, the question that, that Alistair gave us at the end was, do we trust God? Do we have faith in God? And I think that's what we need to end on today, and that is let's ask ourselves the question, where do we get this faith? If it is all about trust, and if it is all about faith, we know we're going to have the problems. We could go read lots of scriptures and talk about the problems, but now what's the solution? The solution in finding faith and trust in God comes through two areas. Number one, through Bible reading and study of God's Word. And number two, through prayer and meditation. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the Word of Christ. That's so important. That's why it's so important that we read the Word and study the Word, and that we be an active part in our discipleship. We be an active part in our discipleship. Nobody's going to feed you the Word unless you go after it. You have to read it. You have to study it. You have to get involved in church Bible studies or ladies' Bible studies at somebody's home or men's prayer groups or someplace, but you have to ingest somehow the Word of God in your life. That's the only place you're going to get faith. Otherwise, you have faith in faith. And faith in faith doesn't heal anything because I can have faith in a good golf swing. That's not going to heal me. What I have faith in is faith in God. And I get faith in God through studying His Word. And you say, well, Bible studies and Wednesday nights, I'm too busy. They're boring. They don't relate to my life. I'm just too busy to be a part of that study or to go to Sunday school. Well, let me tell you this. You tell that to God then when He's testing you and you're failing because you didn't develop the faith required through hearing the message or hearing the Word of Christ. Don't go back to God then and say, God, why am I going through this battle when I haven't done my work to prepare myself? The old saying is, lack of preparation on your part doesn't constitute an emergency on my part. And I can hear God saying that to me. Mike, you get yourself in your own binds, and then you come to me to bail you out. And where were you in the good times? Where were you in the times of prosperity? I gave you the blessings. I think that's where that message came from this morning. I gave you the blessings. I've given you all the prosperity of life. Where are you? Why aren't you diligently learning my word now? Why aren't you diligently getting prepared for the hard time? Because I'm telling you right now, they're coming. And if you wait until they come before you get in the word of God, it's too late. You're going to struggle really hard. You're really going to have a hard time then. So now, while you are in relative ease and comfort, get into the Word. Get involved in your church, wherever your church is. Get involved in active Bible study. Get involved in your Sunday school class. Get involved in your, in your Bible studies, wherever they're at. But if you sit complacently back on your haunches and think that God's going to bail you out at the end of the day, you're mistakenly wrong. He's not going to do it. The Bible doesn't say he's going to do it. He says he's there to prepare. He's going to help us to get through the hard times. When we make the right choices in the beginning, we have a responsibility in this fight. Then secondly, prayer is the key to developing this faith and having the confidence to come before God in such a comforting and peace-giving relationship as it says in Philippians chapter 4. 
verses 4 through 7. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. He always says, Rejoice and be happy. And blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. All the words that precede the trial says, Rejoice or um, be happy, or be content, be blessed. And he says it again. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. Anything. That's bad things too. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You want to have a relationship with God, then you must pray, and you must present your prayers and requests to God with thanksgiving. And here, I've heard people say, I don't know how to pray for a half an hour. How do you pray for 10 minutes, Mike? How do you pray for an hour? Prayer is a multifaceted dimension. Prayer is not a, gl- a gripe session. Prayer is not a time when you just come and tell God all your problems because you know what? He already knows your problems. What he wants is praise and adoration and worship. And that's how you start out in prayer, by worshiping him. Get us a, get a, a, a worship tape. Get um, a tape from you know, one of our Sunday mornings that Jackie has worshipped. She has them. Get some of those tapes. Play the tapes. Get yourself in a worship mode. Get yourself in a worship setting and start to praise the Lord. Praise Him for half an hour first. And then start praying. Give Him your requests. Give Him your petitions. Give Him your, your needs. He can handle anything you give Him. But if we don't develop the time, if we don't set back a little bit, and like Alistair said, some of the reason we get hurt it's like little kids, they, 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 they fall down. The first thing they do is they run, they run the mom or the, their dad who's ever close and they want to sit in their lap and they want to get hugged. Sometimes God allows things to happen. Sometimes God allows things to happen in your life to say, I want your attention. I want you to sit on my lap for a little bit. I need you to come close to me. You know what? I would love it if he would do that through prosperity. I would love it if he would do that through a big fat check bank account. But you know what? The way I love my life, it doesn't work that way. Because the more comfortable I get, the less I go to God. Isn't that sad? Now, can you say the same thing in your life, or am I just the only one? That's why God brings pain. That's why he brings suffering. Because he wants me on his lap. And that's where I need to be. I wish he did it through money. It'd be a lot more fun, wouldn't it? But he doesn't. So, how do we react to this? Our choices are so key. We are free individuals. We are free moral agents. And now, how you choose to react to the problems are what makes the difference for you. You cannot keep the problems from coming. They're coming. I'm telling you, they're coming. You can't stop that. But what you can control is your choice. And that's what God wants. That's what he's asking from you. He wants your love. He wants your adoration. He wants you to say, I will give it all to you, Jesus. The good and the bad and the ugly, I give it all. So as we end this morning, God brings problems into our life. He allows things into our life for our benefit. For our benefit. Because he wants to make me worthy to come into his presence. And I get that way through his growth process. Not through my own desires, not through my own um, 
misconstrued concepts of what I think Christianity should be, not through my own sense of prosperity, but many times he comes through the problems. James chapter 1, verse 2, we read it at the beginning. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and steadfastness, which is determination, resoluteness, commitment, dedication, persistence, steadfastness has to have its full effect. Don't shortcut it even though you want to. Don't try to run out of the trial faster than you want to, faster than you should, because God will keep you there as long as he has to keep you there for you to learn the lesson that he wants for your benefit. For your benefit. Not because God's mean, not because he's angry, because he loves us so much. It does not say... Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet prosperity of various kinds. For you know that prosperity of your faith produces steadfastness. He doesn't say that, does he? But yet, that's what we focus on. That's what we think Christianity should be, is prosperity. And I'm not against prosperity. Don't get me wrong. But I'm more concerned about my eternal life. I'm more concerned about where I want to be a million years from now. All the money that I have in the world today will mean nothing for me, my first breath in eternity. Nothing. What means to me is what I learned through the test and what I get out of the trial. So I hope this helps you a little bit. I hope this brings some clarity a little bit. I'm sorry I can't take your problem away. I'm sorry that I don't have the big staple easy button and hit the button, and all of a sudden, it's all better. I'm sorry. I wish I could, because I would be hitting it a lot. And so would you. But what I do hope you get out of this, though, is a sense of why. And now, what do I do with it? Why is prayer important? Why is Bible reading important? Why is church important? Why? Because we learn to have faith, and God is pleased. The only way we please God is through faith. So as we end the service today, I want to just open the altars again for those. I know it's 10 after 12. I know that. But I just want to open the altars for any of those that are just really wringing it out, really going through it. And you say, Lord, I just need to be bathed in your presence. I want to be wrapped in your arms. Those songs were so appropriate for today. I just want to be wrapped in your arms, Jesus. And if it takes me to go through the punishing, uh, the, the, this terrible testing and trials, the Lord, then, then thank you. <laughs> thank you for the blessing of the trial. It'll be worth it all. It'll be worth it all in the end. Thank you, Jesus, for fine-tuning me and for bringing me as pure as gold. Thank you. So as we sing the song, if you want to pray, I'm going, to open the, I'm going to open the altars to let you pray. Consider yourself dismissed if you want to go. Remember all the things we talked about today. I pray, tuck it away. Tuck it away someplace and pull it back out when you need it. Know that God is on your side. Do not let the enemy give you a lie. Do not let him tell you anything that's not true about God. God loves you. He loves you. And he wants what's best for you.
Love you. 